0: chapter 21 of Belinda. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org Belinda by Maria Edgeworth chapter 21 Helena whilst they were at breakfast the next morning in Lady Delacour's dressing room, Marriott knocked at the door and immediately opening it exclaimed in a joyful tone, "Miss Portman they're eating it!" Ma'am, they're eating it as fast as ever they can. Bring them in. Your lady will give you leave, Marriott, I fancy," said Miss Portman. Marriott brought in her goldfishes. Some green leaves were floating on the top of the water in the glass globe. See, my lady," said she, what Miss Portman has been so good as to bring from Oakley Park for my poor goldfishes, who, I am sure, are to be much obliged to her, as well as myself. Marriott set the globe beside her lady, and retired. From Oakley Park! And by what name, impossible to pronounce, must I call these green leaves to please botanic ears? said Lady Delacour. This, replied Belinda, is what thun-learned duckweed, learned lemna call, and it is to be found in any ditch or standing pool. And what possessed you, my dear, for the sake of Marriott and her goldfishes, to trouble yourself to bring such stuff a hundred and seventy miles? To oblige little Charles Percival, said Miss Portman, he was anxious to keep his promise of sending it to your Helena. She found out in some book that she was reading with him last summer that goldfishes are fond of this plant. And I wish, added Belinda in a timid voice, that she were here at this instant to see them eat it. Lady Delacour was silent for some minutes, and kept her eyes steadily upon the goldfishes. At length she said. I never shall forget how well the poor little creature behaved about those goldfishes. I grew amazingly fond of her whilst she was with me, but you know, circumstanced as I was after you left me, I could not have her at home. But now I am here, said Belinda. Will she be any trouble to you, and will she not make your home more agreeable to you and to Lord Delacour, who is evidently very fond of her? Ah, my dear, said Lady Delacour. you forget and so do I at times, what I have to go through. It is in vain to talk, to think of making home, or any place, or anything, or any person, agreeable to me now. What am I? The outside rind is left, the sap is gone. The tree lasts from day to day by miracle, it cannot last long. You would not wonder to hear me talk in this way, if you knew the terrible time I had last night after we parted but i have these nights constantly now let us talk of something else what have you there a manuscript yes a little journal of edward percival's which he sent for the entertainment of helena (coughs) lady delacour stretched out her hand for it the boy will write as like his father as possible said she turning over the leaves i wish to have this poor girl with me but i have no spirits And you know, whenever Lord Delacour can find a house that will suit us, we shall leave town, and I could not take Helena with me. But this may be the last opportunity I may ever have of seeing her, and I can refuse you nothing, my dear. So will you go for her? She can stay with us a few days. Lady Boucher, that most convenient dowager, who likes going about, no matter where, all the morning, will go with you to Mrs. Dumont's academy in Sloane Street. I would as soon go to a bird-fancier's as to a boarding-school for young ladies. Indeed I am not well enough to go anywhere, so I will throw myself upon a sofa and read this child's journal. I wonder how that or anything else can interest me now." Belinda, who had been used to the variations of Lady Delacour's spirits, was not much alarmed by the despondent strain in which she now spoke especially when she considered that the thoughts of the dreadful trial this unfortunate woman was soon to go through must naturally depress her courage. Rejoiced at the permission that she had obtained to go for Helena, Miss Portman sent immediately to Lady Boucher, who took her to Sloan Street. Now, my dear, considerate Miss Portman, said Lady Boucher, I must beg and request that you will hurry Miss Delacour into the carriage as fast as possible. I have not a moment to spare, for I am to be at a china auction at two, that I would not miss for the whole world. Well, what's the matter with the people? Why does not James knock at the door? Can't the man read? Can't the man see? Cried the purblind dowager. Is not that Mrs. Dumont's name on the door before his eyes? No, ma'am, I believe this name is Ellicott said Belinda. "Elicot, is it?' "'Aye, true. But what's the man stopping for, then? Mrs. Dumont's is the next door,' told the blind dunce. Mercy on us, to waste one's time in this way. I shall, as sure as fate, be too late for the china auction. What upon earth stops us?' Nothing but a little covered cart which stands at Mrs. Dumont's door. There, now it is going. An old man is drawing it out of the way as fast as he can. "'Open the coach-door, James!' cried Lady Boucher the moment that they had drawn up. "'Now, my dear considerate Miss Portman, remember the auction, and don't let Miss Delacour stay to change her dress or anything.' Belinda promised not to detain her ladyship a minute. The door at Mrs. Dumont's was open, and a servant was assisting an old man to carry in some geraniums and balsams out of the covered cart which had stopped the way. In the hall a crowd of children were gathered round a high stand, on which they were eagerly arranging their flower-pots, and the busy hum of voices was so loud that when Miss Portman first went in, she could neither hear the servant nor make him hear her name. Nothing was to be heard but, "'Oh, how beautiful! Oh, how sweet! That's mine! That's yours! The great rose geranium for Miss Jefferson, the white Provence rose for Miss Adderley. No, indeed, Miss Pocock, that's for Miss Delacour, the old man said so.' "'Silence, silence, Mademoiselle cried the voice of a Frenchwoman, and all was silence. The little crowd looked toward the hall door, and from the midst of her companions, Helena Delacour, who now caught a glimpse of Belinda, sprang forward, throwing down her white Provence rose as she passed. "'Lady Boucher's compliments, ma'am,' said the servant to Mrs. Dumont. "'She's in indispensable haste, and she begs you won't let Miss Delacour think of changing her dress.' It was the last thing of which Miss Delacour was likely to think at this instant. She was so much overjoyed when she heard that Belinda was come by her mamma's desire to take her home, that she would scarcely stay whilst Mrs. Dumont was tying on her straw hat, and exhorting her to let Lady Delacour know how it happened that she was so far from fit to be seen. "'Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, I'll remember, I'll be sure to remember,' said Helena, tripping down the steps. But just as she was getting into the carriage, she stopped at the sight of the old man, and exclaimed, "'Oh, good old man, I must not forget you.' "'Yes, indeed, you must, though, my dear Miss Delacour,' said Lady Boucher, piling her into the carriage. Tis no time to think of good old men now.' "'But I must. Dear Miss Portman, will you speak for me? I must pay, I must settle, and I have a great deal to say.' Miss Portman desired the old man to call in Berkeley Square at Lady Delacour's, and this satisfying all parties, they drove away. When they arrived in Berkeley Square, Marriott told them that her lady was just gone to lie down. Edward Percival's little journal, which she had been reading, was left on the sofa, and Belinda gave it to Helena, who eagerly began to look over it. Thirteen pages! Oh, how good he has been to write so much for me!' said she and she had almost finished reading it before her mother came into the room. Lady Delacour shrank back as her daughter ran towards her, for she recollected too well the agony she had once suffered from an embrace of Helena's. The little girl appeared more grieved than surprised at this, and after kissing her mother's hand, without speaking, she again looked down at the manuscript. "'Does that engross your attention so entirely, my dear,' said Lady Delacour, "'that you can neither spare one word nor one look for your mother?' "'Oh, mamma, I only tried to read because I thought you were angry with me.' "'An odd reason for trying to read, my dear,' said Lady Delacour with a smile. "'Have you any better reason for thinking I was angry with you?' "'Ah, I know you are not angry now, for you smile,' said Helena. "'But I thought at first that you were mamma, because you gave me only your hand to kiss.' Only my hand the next time, simpleton, I'll give you only my foot to kiss, said her ladyship, sitting down and holding out her foot playfully. Her daughter threw aside the book and kneeling down, kissed her foot, saying in a low voice, "Dear mamma, I never was so happy in my life, for you never looked so very, very kindly at me before. Do not judge always of the kindness people feel for you, child, by their looks and remember that it is possible a person might have felt more than you could guess by their looks. Pray now, Helena, are you such a good judge of physiognomy? Should you guess that I was dying by my looks? The little girl laughed and repeated, Dying? Oh no, mamma. Oh no, because I have such a fine color in my cheeks, hey? Not for that reason, Mama, said Helena, withdrawing her eyes from her mother's face. What, then you know rouge already when you see it? You perceive some difference, for instance, between Miss Portman's color and mine? Upon my word, you are a nice observer. Such nice observers are sometimes dangerous to have near one." "'I hope, mother,' said Helena, "'that you do not think I would try to find out anything that you wish, or that I imagined you wished. I should not know." "'I do not understand you, child,' cried Lady Delacour, raising herself suddenly upon the sofa, and looking full in her daughter's face. Helena's colour rose to her temples, but with a firmness that surprised even Belinda, she repeated what she had said nearly in the same words. "'Do you understand her, Miss Portman?' said Lady Delacour. "'She expresses, I think,' said Belinda, "'a very honourable sentiment, and one that is easily understood.' "'Aye, in general, certainly,' said Lady Delacour, checking herself. "'But I thought that she meant to allude to something in particular. That was what I did not understand.' "'Undoubtedly, my dear, you have just expressed a very honourable sentiment, and one that I should scarcely have expected from a child of your age.' "'Helena, my dear,' said her mother, after a silence of some minutes, "'did you ever read the Arabian tales?' "'Yes, Mama, I know must be the answer. But do you remember the story of Zobida, who carried the porter home with her, on condition that, let him hear or see what he might, he would ask no questions?' "'Yes, Mama.' On the same conditions, should you like to stay with me for a few days?" "'Yes, on any conditions, Mamma. I should like to stay with you.' "'Agreed, then, my dear,' said Lady Delacour. "'Now let us go to the goldfishes, and see them eat lemna, or whatever you please to call it.' While they were looking at the goldfishes, the old man, who had been desired by Miss Portman to call, arrived. "'Who is this fine, grey-haired old man?' said Lady Delacour. Helena, who did not know the share which Belinda's aunt and her own mother had in the transaction, began with great eagerness to tell the history of the poor gardener, who had been cheated by some fine ladies out of his aloe, etc. She then related how kind Lady Anne Percival and her aunt Margaret had been to him, that they had gotten him a place as a gardener at Twickenham, and that he had pleased the family to whom he was recommended so much by his good behaviour that, as they were leaving their house, and obliged to part with him, they had given him all the geraniums and balsams out of the greenhouse of which he had the care, and these he had been this day selling to the young ladies at Mrs. Dumont's. "'I received the money for him, and I was just going to pay him,' said Helena, "'when Miss Portman came, and that put everything else out of my head. "'May I go and give him his money now, mamma?" he can wait a few minutes said lady delacour who had listened to this story with much embarrassment and impatience before you go helena favor us with the names of the fine ladies who cheated this gardener out of his aloe indeed mamma i don't know their names no did you never ask lady anne percival or your aunt margaret look in my face child did they never inform you no ma'am never I once asked Lady Anne, and she said that she did not choose to tell me, that it would be of no use to me to know. "'I give Lady Anne Percival more credit and more thanks for this,' cried Lady Delacour, than for all the rest. I see she has not attempted to lower me in my child's opinion. I am the fine Lady Helena. I was the cause of his being cheated. I was intent upon the noble end of outshining a certain Mrs. Luttridge. The noble means I left to others and the means having proved worthy of the end, I deserved to be brought to shame for my folly. Yet my being ashamed will do nobody any good but myself. Restitution is in these cases the best proof of repentance. Go, Helena, my love, settle your affairs with this old man, and bid him call here again to-morrow. I will see what we can do for him. Lord Delacour had this very morning sent home to her ladyship a handsome diamond ring, which had been intended as a present for Mrs. Luttridge, and which he imagined would therefore be peculiarly acceptable to his lady. In the evening, when his lordship asked her how she liked the ring, which he desired the jeweller to leave for her to look at it, she answered that it was a handsome ring, but that she hoped he had not purchased it for her. "'It is not actually bought, my dear,' said his lordship, "'but if it suits your fancy, I hope you will do me the honour to wear it for my sake.' I will wear it for your sake, my lord," said Lady Delacour, if you desire it, and as a mark of your regard it is agreeable. But as to the rest? My taste for diamonds now is o'er, the sparkling baubles please no more. If you wish to do me a kindness, I will tell you what I should like much better than diamonds, though I know it is rather ungracious to dictate the form and fashion of a favour. But as my dictatorship in all human probability cannot last much longer, Oh, my dear Lady Delacour, I must not hear you talk in this manner. Your dictatorship, as you call it, will, I hope, last many, many happy years. But to the point, what should you like better, my dear, than this foolish ring? Her ladyship then expressed her wish that a small annuity might be settled upon a poor old man, whom she said she had unwittingly injured. She told the story of the rival gallus and the aloe, and concluded by observing that her lord was in some measure called upon to remedy part of the unnumbered ills which had sprung from her hatred of Mrs. Luttridge, as he had originally been the cause of her unextinguishable ire. Lord Delacour was flattered by this hint, and the annuity was immediately promised to the old gardener. In talking to this old man afterward, Lady Delacour found that the family in whose service he lately lived had a house at Twickenham that would just answer her purpose. Lord Delacour's inquiries had hitherto been unsuccessful. He was rejoiced to find what he wanted, just as he was giving up the search. The house was taken, and the old man hired as gardener, a circumstance which seemed to give him almost as much pleasure as the annuity, for there was a morello cherry-tree in the garden which had succeeded the aloe in his affection. It would have grieved him sorely, said he, to leave his favourite tree to strangers, after all the pains he had been at in netting it to keep off the birds. As the period approached when her fate was to be decided, Lady Delacour's courage seemed to rise, and at the same time her anxiety, that her secret should not be discovered, appeared to increase. "'If I survive this business,' said she, "'it is my firm intention to appear in a new character, or rather to assert my real character.' I will break through the spell of dissipation, I will at once cast off all the acquaintance that are unworthy of me. I will, in one word, go with you, my dear Belinda, to Mr. Percival's. I can bear to be mortified for my good, and I am willing, since I find that Lady Anne Percival has behaved generously to me with regard to Helena's affections, I am willing that the recovery of my moral health should be attributed to the salubrious air of Oakley Park but it would be inexpressible, intolerable mortification to me, to have it said, or suspected in the world of fashion, that I retreated from the ranks disabled instead of disgusted. A voluntary retirement is graceful and dignified. A forced retreat is awkward and humiliating. You must be sensible that I could not endure to have it whispered. Lady Delacour now sets up for being a prude because she can no longer be a coquette." Lady Delacour would become the subject of witticisms, epigrams, caricatures without end. It would just be the very thing for Mrs. Luttridge. Then she would revenge herself without mercy for the ass and her panniers. We should have Lord and Lady D, or the domestic tete-a-tete, or the reformed Amazon stuck up in a print-shop window. Oh, my dear, think of seeing such a thing. I should die with vexation, and of all deaths that is the death I should like the least." Though Belinda could not entirely enter into those feelings, which thus made Lady Delacour invent wit against herself, and anticipate caricatures, yet she did everything in her power to calm her ladyship's apprehension of a discovery. "'My dear,' said Lady Delacour, "'I have perfect confidence in Lord Delacour's promise, and in his good nature, of which he has within these few days given me proofs that are not lost upon my heart. But he is not the most discreet man in the world.' Whenever he is anxious about anything, you may read it a mile off in his eyes, nose, mouth, and chin. And to tell you all my fears in one word, Marriott informed me this morning that the Lettridge, who came from Harrogate to Rantipole, to meet Lord Delacour, finding that there was no drawing him to her, has actually brought herself to town. To town? At this strange time of year! How will my lord resist this unequivocal, unprecedented proof of passion? if she catch hold of him again i am undone or even suppose him firm as a rock her surprise her jealousy her curiosity will set all engines at work to find out by what witchcraft i have taken my husband from her every precaution that prudence could devise against her malicious curiosity i have taken marriott you know is above all temptation that vile wretch naming the person whose quack medicines had nearly destroyed her that vile wretch will be silent from fear for his own sake he is yet to be paid and dismissed that should have been done long ago but i had not money both for him and mrs franks the milliner she is now paid and lord delacour i am glad to tell his friend how well he deserves her good opinion lord delacour in the handsomest manner supplied me with the means of satisfying this man he is to be here at three o'clock to-day and this is the last interview he will ever have with Lady Delacour in The Mysterious Boudoir. The fears which her ladyship expressed of Mrs. Luttridge's malicious curiosity were not totally without foundation. Chamfort was at work for her and for himself. The memorable night of Lady Delacour's overturn, and the bustle that Marriott made about the key of the boudoir, were still fresh in his memory and he was in hopes that, if he could discover the mystery, he should at once regain his power over Lord Delacour, reinstate himself in his lucrative place, and obtain a handsome reward, or, more properly speaking, bribe, from Mrs. Luttridge. The means of obtaining information of all that passed in Lady Delacour's family were, he thought, still in his power, though he was no longer an intimate of the house. This stupid maid was not so stupid as to be impenetrable to the voice of flattery, or, as Mr. Chamfort called it, the voice of love. He found it in his interest to court, and she her pleasure to be courted. On these coquettes of the second table, on these underplots in the drama, much of the comedy, and some of the tragedy, of life depend. Under the unsuspected mask of stupidity, this worthy mistress of our intriguing valet de chambre concealed the quick ears of a listener, and the demure eyes of a spy. Long, however, did she listen, and long did she spy in vain, till at last Monsieur Chamfort gave her notice in writing, that his love would not last another week, unless she could within that time contrive to satisfy his curiosity, and that, in short, she must find out the reason why the boudoir was always locked, and why Mrs. Marriott alone was to be trusted with the key. Now it happened that this billet doux was received on the very day appointed for Lady Delacour's last interview with the quack-surgeon in the mysterious boudoir. Marriott, as it was her custom upon such occasions, let the surgeon in, and showed him up the back stairs into the boudoir, locked the door, and bade him wait there till her lady came. The man had not been punctual to the hour appointed, and Lady Delacour, giving up all expectation of his coming till the next day, had retired to her bedchamber where she of late usually at this hour secluded herself to read methodistical books or to sleep marriott when she went up to let her lady know that the person as she always called him was come found her so fast asleep that she thought it a pity to waken her as she had not slept at all the preceding night she shut the door very softly and left her lady to repose At the bottom of the stairs she was met by the stupid maid, whom she immediately dispatched with orders to wash some lace. "'Your lady's asleep,' said she, "'and pray let me have no running up and down stairs.' The room into which the stupid maid went was directly underneath the boudoir, and whilst she was there she thought that she heard the steps of a man's foot walking overhead. She listened more attentively. She heard them again." She armed herself with a glass of jelly in her hand, for my lady, and hurried upstairs instantly to my lady's room. She was much surprised to see my lady fast asleep. Her astonishment at finding that Mrs. Marriott had told her the truth was such as for a moment to bereave her of all presence of mind, and she stood with the door ajar in her hand. As thus she stood, she was roused by the sound of some one clearing his throat very softly in the boudoir. His throat! for she recollected the footsteps she had heard before, and she was convinced it could be no other than a masculine throat. She listened again, and stooped down to try whether any feet could be seen under the door. As she was in this attitude, her lady suddenly turned on her bed, and the book which she had been reading fell from the pillow to the floor, with a noise, that made the listener start up instantaneously in great terror. The noise, however, did not waken Lady Delacour, who is in that dead sleep which is sometimes the effect of opium. The noise was louder than what could have been made by the fall of a book alone, and the girl descried a key that had fallen along with the book. It occurred to her that this might possibly be the key of the boudoir. From one of those irresistible impulses which some people make an excuse for doing whatever they please, she seized it, resolved at all hazards to open the mysterious door. She was cautiously putting the key into the keyhole, so as not to make the least noise, when she was suddenly startled by a voice behind her, which said, "'Who gave you leave to open that door?' She turned, and saw Helena standing at the half-open bedchamber door. "'Mercy, Miss Delacour, who thought of seeing you? For God's sake, don't make a noise to waken my lady!' "'Did my mother desire you to go into that room?' repeated Helena dear me no miss said the maid putting on her stupid face but i only thought to open the door to let in a little air to freshen the room which my lady always likes and bids me to do and i thought helena took the key gently from her hand without listening to any more of her thoughts and the woman left the room muttering something about jelly and my lady helena went to the side of her mother's bed determined to wait there till she awakened then to give her the key and tell her the circumstance Notwithstanding the real simplicity of this little girl's character, she was, as her mother had discovered, a nice observer, and she had remarked that her mother permitted no one but Marriott to go into the boudoir. This remark did not excite her to dive into the mystery. On the contrary, she carefully repressed all curiosity, remembering the promise she had given to her mother when she talked of Zobeida and the porter. She had not been without temptation to break this promise for the maid who usually attended her toilette had employed every art in her power to stimulate her curiosity as she was dressing helena this morning she had said to her the reason i was so late calling you miss this morning was because i was so late myself last night for i went to the play miss last night which was bluebeard lord bless us i'm sure if i had been bluebeard's wife i should have opened the door if i'd died for it for to have the notion of living all day long, and all night, too, in a house in which there was a room that one was never to go into, is a thing I could not put up with." Then after a pause, and after waiting in vain for some reply from Helena, she added, "'Pray, Miss Delacour, did you ever go into that little room within my lady's bedchamber that Mrs. Marriott keeps the key of always?' "'No,' said Helena. "'I've often wondered what's in it, but then that's only because I'm a simpleton.' I thought to be sure you knew." Observing that Helena looked much displeased, she broke off her speech, hoping that what she had said would operate in due time, and that she should thus excite the young lady to get the secret from Marriott, which she had no doubt afterward of worming from Miss Delacour. In all this she calculated ill, for what she had said only made Helena distrust and dislike her. It was the recollection of this conversation that made her follow the maid to her mother's bedchamber, and see what detained her there so long. Helena had heard Marriott say that she ought not to run up and down stairs because her lady was asleep, and it appeared extraordinary that but a few minutes after this information she should have gone into the room with a glass of jelly in her hand. Ah, mamma thought Helena, as she stood beside her mother's bed. You did not understand, and perhaps you did not believe me, when I said that I would not try to find out anything that you wished me not to know. Now I hope you will understand me better." Lady Delacour opened her eyes. "'Helena,' cried she, starting up, "'how came you by that key?' "'Oh, mother, don't look as if you suspected me.' She then told her mother how the key came into her hands. "'My dear child, you have done me an essential service,' said Lady Delacour. You know not its importance, at least in my estimation, but what gives me infinitely more satisfaction, you have proved yourself worthy of my esteem, my love. Marriott came into the room, and whispered a few words to her lady. You may speak out, Marriott, before my Helena, said Lady Delacour, rising from the bed as she spoke. Child as she is, Helena has deserved my confidence, and she shall be convinced that, where her mother has once reason to confide, she is incapable of suspicion. Wait here for a few minutes, my dear." She went to her boudoir, paid and dismissed the surgeon expeditiously, then returned, and taking her daughter by the hands, she said, "'You look all simplicity, my dear. I see you have no vulgar school-girl curiosity. You will have all your mother's strength of mind. May you never have any of her faults, or any of her misfortunes. I speak to you not as to a child, Helena for you have reason far above your years, and you will remember what I now say to you as long as you live. You will possess talents, beauty, fortune. You will be admired, followed, and flattered, as I have been, but do not throw away your life as I have thrown away mine, to win the praise of fools. Had I used but half the talents I possess, as I hope you will use yours, I might have been an ornament to my sex. I might have been a Lady Anne Percival. Here Lady Delacour's voice failed, but commanding her emotion, she in a few moments went on speaking. "'Choose your friends well, my dear daughter. It was my misfortune, my folly, early in life to connect myself with a woman, who under the name of Frolic led me into every species of mischief. You are too young, too innocent, to hear the particulars of my history now, but you will hear them all at a proper time from my best friend Miss Portman.' "'I shall leave you to her her care, my dear, when I die.' "'When you die, oh, mother,' said Helena, "'but why do you talk of dying?' And she threw her arms round her mother. "'Gently, my love,' said Lady Delacour, shrinking back, and she seized this moment to explain to her daughter why she shrunk in this manner from her caresses, and why she talked of dying. Helena was excessively shocked.' I wished, my dear, resumed her mother calmly, I wished to have spared you the pain of knowing all this. I have given you but little pleasure in my life. It is unjust to give you so much pain. We shall go to Twickenham to-morrow, and I will leave you with your Aunt Margaret, my dear, till all is over. If I die, Belinda will take you with her immediately to Oakley Park. You shall have as little sorrow as possible. If you had shown me less of your affectionate temper. You would have spared yourself the anguish that you now feel, and you would have spared me. My dear, kind mother, interrupted Helena, throwing herself on her knees at her mother's feet. Do not send me away from you. I don't wish to go to my Aunt Margaret. I don't wish to go to Oakley Park. I wish to stay with you. Do not send me away from you, for I shall suffer ten times more if I am not with you, though I know I can be of no use. Overcome by her daughter's entreaties, Lady Delacour at last consented that she should remain with her, and that she should accompany her to Twickenham. The remainder of this day was taken up in preparations for their departure. The stupid maid was immediately dismissed. No questions were asked, and no reasons for her dismissal assigned, except that Lady Delacour had no farther occasion for her services. Marriott alone was to attend her lady to Twickenham. Lord Delacour, it was settled, should stay in town, lest the unusual circumstance of his attending his lady should excite public curiosity. His lordship, who was naturally a good-natured man, and who had been touched by the kindness his wife had lately shown him, was in extreme agitation during the whole of this day, which he thought might possibly be the last of her existence. She, on the contrary, was calm and collected. Her courage seemed to rise with the necessity for its exertion. In the morning, when the carriage came to the door, as she parted with Lord Delacour, she put into his hand a paper that contained some directions and requests with which, she said, she hoped that he would comply, if they should prove to be her last. The paper contained only some legacies to her servants, a provision for Marriott, and a bequest to her excellent and beloved friend, Belinda Portman, of the cabinet in which she kept Clarence Hervey's letters. Interlined in this place. Lady Delacour had written these words. My daughter is nobly provided for, and lest any doubt or difficulty should arise from the omission, I think it necessary to mention that the said cabinet contains the valuable jewels left to me by my late uncle, and that it is my intention that the said jewels should be part of my bequest to the said Belinda Portman. If she marry a man of good fortune, she will wear them for my sake. If she do not marry an opulent husband. I hope she will sell the jewels without scruple, as they are intended for her convenience, and not as an ostentatious bequest. It is fit that she should be as independent in her circumstances as she is in her mind." Lord Delacour with much emotion looked over this paper, and assured her ladyship that she should be obeyed, if he could say no more. "'Farewell, then, my lord,' said she. Keep up your spirits, for I intend to live many years yet to try them. End of chapter 21. Recording by Roxana Nazari.